Welcome back to the trip, man. Orphan Black, the next chapter, is exclusively on Serial Box. Serial Box is serialized fiction in synced audio and ebook bundles from award winning creators delivered to you weekly. In today's golden age of sci fi and fantasy books, genre television, and fiction podcasts, it can seem like there's just too much content to fit into our busy lives. Wouldn't it be great if we could dive into a great story on our couch and continue it on our daily commute? Well, that's exactly what Cereal Box, with an S, not like that delicious breakfast cardboard, is doing. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. I'm your host, Travis Tippins. This week is a little bit different. I interviewed two of the writers for Cereal Box's latest story, Orphan Black, The Next Chapter. Helly Kennedy and Eugene Myers take us behind the scenes of the hit TV show's continuation. And if you stay tuned until the end, there's even a teaser for the audio version of the serial, narrated by none other than Tatiana Maslany, who starred in the original TV show. Our first guest is Helly Kennedy, writer of short films, video games, and an upcoming fantasy novel titled The Penny Discount. Helly has also written three comic book series for the Orphan Black TV show, and worked as a consultant and writer on Serial Box's Orphan Black, The Next Chapter. Hi, Hilly. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn. It's great to have you here today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so I guess to start us off, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved with Orphan Black, the next chapter? Well, I'm a uh, writer. Uh, Primarily, I've been a screenwriter and I've written comic books. And I started writing when I was very young and got into filmmaking. So I have a bit of a filmmaking background as well. And, you know, I've pitched TV concepts and pretty much written whatever I can. And I got involved with Orphan Black uh, through the TV series years ago. A lot of the writers and the staff um, on the show, they uh, went to the same film program I'd gone to uh, up here in Toronto, Canada. And we sort of knew each other through alumni. So the alum kind of all know each other throughout the state. It's a really small community for TV and film here. And um, I had, you know, been chatting with them, I think in season one, when that was going on. This is like, oh my gosh, this is a long time ago now, like six, seven years ago. And, uh, and a job popped up to write comics. And I applied to the publisher, IDW Publishing down in San Diego. And I got the gig. And I started, I wrote three series for the television series. Some of them were tied to seasons. Some of them were alternate universes that spun the uh, TV series. And then when Serial Box was involved in uh, making a series of novels about Orphan Black, a novelization that's also now a um, audiobooks, they reached out and contacted me to consult and write on the series. Yeah. So what what's that been like? I guess what's what's your role? Because I think Serial Box uh, is known for having these collaborative efforts. Uh, it's not like standard writing where you might have a single author in control of the entire story. Uh, so I guess what's your experience been with that? I love it personally. I come from uh, because I come from a film TV background. It's pretty collaborative writing period just by nature you know productions are big they require a lot of people uh there's a lot of shifts when you're writing in that format for the screen it's never done until you know it's locked in an edit and it's over um so 
by nature, you just end up working with many, many different people and you take notes from many different levels of like film and TV hierarchy um, and from your peers that you're working with, your, your collaborators. Um, so I really liked it. I thought it was really cool. The format of working on a series for Serial Box is very much like a TV writing room. So we had six novelists six authors involved. And um, we had a showrunner, Malka Older. She came up with the initial pitch. Her and I worked on the pitch a little bit before we had a writing room come together. And then we all got together and broke um, a 10 episode season and arced that season together, much like they do for television. So that was pretty cool. And it was also, um, I think it suited Orphan Black really well, because we were adapting a TV series with very traditional cliffhangers and, you know, a thriller element. And it, we could take basically the original TV format and use Serial Box's um, version of storytelling and the audiobooks and sort of play into, I think, um, the structure and what made Orphan Black what it was. So I, I thought it was a really, really nice fit for the uh, Orphan Black universe. Yeah. And so is it actually canonically a continuation of the TV show or is it kind of an alternate universe sort of thing? It is a continuation of the TV show. It's called Orphan Black, the next chapter, and it really is meant to be the next chapter. It's set eight years after the end of the TV series. So we pick up with, you know, classic characters, um, classic clones like Cosima Niehaus and her now wife, Delphine Cormier, because they were just a couple in the, the show and now they're actually married. Uh, we pick up with other uh, clones too that were on the series and we introduce new clone characters as well. And we try to honor the arcs and where the characters left off at the end of the TV series and play on that, make it entertaining and interesting and relevant. Yeah, we use everything that is in the Orphan Black catalog that we can for our story. And for uh, someone who might not have seen the show before, is this something they can jump into or do you require that background having watched it? Um, you could jump into it, I think, and pretty much understand um, what's going on to a certain degree. But I think um, for a more enriched listening experience and to really understand, we drop a lot of references um, to understand who's coming back into the storylines at what points and kind of to get that thrill out of it. I would totally recommend watching the show, uh, especially because we do end up touching on what happened at the very end of the five season TV series. So we've kind of blown a lot of the story in some ways, talking in bits and pieces about characters arcs and what they've been through. It'll ruin the TV series if you haven't seen it. So I totally recommend, you know, having a watch. Um, and also like the whole series is awesome. So I, I recommend that period anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. It's kind of like, asking someone to read a book series out of order, which doesn't make the most sense. Yeah, exactly. Because we really did try to, you know, honor the timelines. So uh, yeah, I, I, it would be a little tricky to just jump in, I think. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, you guys approached this as like a TV writer's room sort of. Does that, were you physically all in the same room together? Or was this all taking place remote collaboration? 
Um, kind of both. So uh, in the summer, I believe, of 2018, we were all brought to New York and we had a writing room where we broke the story together. It was really awesome to work with everybody, um, everyone except for Madeline Ashby, who couldn't be there. She um, she ended up Skyping in or video phone calling in and uh, we talked to her through a screen and it was very orphan black because she's also a futurist and she's a, a, a very amazing, she's an amazing sci-fi writer. So it was kind of funny to talk to her on a screen. And this That's really and, cool. <laughs> yeah, it was really clone clubby, you know, it felt, had that total clone club orphan black vibe. Um, and she lives in a, in a cool, funky Toronto house. So yeah, we all were together in person with the exception of, Ma- of Madeline and uh, we got to meet and collaborate, which was really amazing because it's always nice when you're collaborating to meet everybody. It's, it just makes communication easier. And then when we all split up and went back home, because some of us live in California, some of us live in actually, some, I don't know where some of the writers live, like in multiple cities at once. It feels like they're constantly traveling. Um, and I'm up in Toronto. Uh, we would Skype and call each other. And we'd had a lot of Slack chats, like insane, epic Slack threads. That, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know, there's probably like hundreds of pages of text in that alone, if we printed that out. Oh, wow. Yeah, it would be nuts. Um, so yeah, we did a lot of kind of clone club chats, too, with split screens where everyone's talking at once. And so you mentioned this clone club before I if someone's not in the know on that, uh, is that something from Orphan Black or is that something just in the fandom? It's kind of both. So Clone Club is in the fandom. I can't remember if it came first in the fandom or if it was something that came out of the show now because it's been a number of years. But um, Clone Club is something that's uh, it's a strong fandom. That's what the, they call themselves, the fans. Um, if you're into Orphan Black, you are a member of Clone Club. Uh, and uh, and it's also been referenced in the show. And I can't remember what came first, but uh, Clone Club's also the clone, the leader clones in the show that have met each other and have banded together on their journey in figuring out who they are and how they came to exist as clones. Yeah. And so that's kind of a perfect segue into something I was wondering, uh, kind of just anything that deals with cloning in science fiction is probably going to have identity as a main theme. Uh, so uh, what were you guys trying to say with that? And how did you tackle that theme? Identity is a really big theme, actually, in the book series, um, in the next chapter. Uh, it's really interesting, because we were dealing with a group of Lita clones that were originally in the TV series, and they had gone through all the motions of becoming self-aware and and had pretty epic, insane journeys, which involved you know murder and crazy science and 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 cures for uh, genetically based illnesses. So they had already gone through this identity crisis through the five seasons of the TV series, and in our series, we pick back up um, with them and where they are after that journey but also we introduce new clones who become aware self-aware that they are clones uh and with the uh book format which was it was really nice to work on this theme in a book format we get to get into the psychology and the emotional landscape of what it means to be grappling with your identity 
Um, and when you have something like of this magnitude dropped on you, it's kind of like a bombshell. It just hits. Um, and, uh, we, we, it's hard to talk so specifically cause it would be major spoilers. But right, right. Character, yeah. One character uh, becomes self-aware fairly early in the series and we follow her journey and she's someone who is already kind of troubled uh to begin with and a little bit isolated on the basis of her job uh so we touch a lot on her uh inner landscape uh so i think we we dealt a lot with it by using prose by using what we were working in the medium we were working in and that was really awesome because I think it suits a show like Orphan Black. Characters are so unique and so layered that um, it made it kind of easy to jump in and just start writing in their voices or from their points of view and uh, exploring their their crisis or their or their how they feel about who they are. Yeah, and uh, so serial box to me is an interesting medium because i believe all their stories come out in parallel in both audio format and in text uh so knowing that you're going to have that dual format and that the audio is actually narrated by tatiana maslani i hope i'm pronouncing her name correctly yep yeah um, okay uh so the actress from the orphan black tv show uh that kind of lends a different feel to it than say if you just we're writing something directly in print and then didn't know who the audio narrator was going to be. Uh, so does that affect your writing process at all, knowing that the actual actress from the show is going to be reading what you write? Totally. Um, we were super excited when Serial Box told us that they were working on getting Tat involved, Tatiana. Um, so uh, we were like, you know, it it kind of fueled our fire a lot to uh, work on it because a lot of the series is based on her physicality and her, you know, she vocally changes how she plays each clone. If you listen to each clone, they're distinctive. You don't really need a visual marker to know who's talking because she's done so much work on these characters. So knowing that she was going to come back and play uh, once again, characters she had portrayed on the show um, and helped to anchor um, in terms of character identity. That was awesome. It was cool. It was easy to write in the voice. It also made me a little bit more paranoid. And um, uh, I would go over the clones that I, I, I had been writing just to make sure I nailed the character's voice so that when she was reading it, it felt true to the characters that were portrayed on the show. Um, so... Uh, it made me a little more meticulous, uh, but it was also um, interesting to think about her in particular reading it because she has such a deep relationship with all these characters. Um, I was thinking about, you know, trying to really play with them in terms of their psychology. And we didn't write in first person. We wrote um, with a each each movement, each chapter in our our episodes had kind of a perspective that was geared towards a character, though not in their perspective. Um, so I really tried to make sure I was clear that I was writing from a character's perspective and that there was stuff for her to bite off and chew on while she read in her own voice. Um, because as she reads the series, she reads kind of in her own voice for the narration. But then when she reads a character's dialogue, she'll read it in that character's voice. So she kind of has to shift gears many different times. So I was trying to be aware of that and give her a lot to work with in a scene. Um, and 
Yeah, I think I I read my episode to myself out loud. Oh God, I don't know how many times. I think my sister was around. <laughs> yeah, and she was like, oh my gosh. Like we listened to it the other night. And my sister said, I'm so glad to hear Tatiana read it because I was really tired <laughs> of hearing you read it. And I was like, thanks. It Aww. sounded awesome. And undoubtedly it sounded like Orphan Black. I guess like my fake Helena's and my fake, you know, Casimas weren't really, um, <laughs> weren't tats, but uh, weren't good enough for my sister. But um, yeah, no, it, it made me, it made me even more, um, not paranoid, but like, yeah, kind of paranoid, actually, that uh, I wasn't like um, honoring the voice. So I took a lot of time to make sure that uh, everything felt streamlined, but also uh, true to the characters' voices. Yeah. And so you mentioned uh, getting to listen to Tat read it for the first time, uh, or when the episode actually came out. Uh, so at the time of this recording, uh, the episode you wrote is the most recent one. It just released. Uh, so how does it feel to have what a living world will demand out in the public? Oh my gosh, it was pretty emotional, actually. Um, it's kind of nuts for me. Um, I, I really was excited. We'd been working on it. The writing room had been working on it for uh, over a year. Um, so we put a lot of effort into it. Orphan Black is a very um, complex show plot-wise, and we wanted to keep that alive in the book series, which is very challenging. It's not an easy thing to write for because it's a thriller and it's a mist. It's got mystery elements and it's got really rich characters with massive emotional arcs and they're very well drawn. So we took a lot of time with that. And I think when I finally heard it go up, I, I was extremely happy, but also kind of sad because I've been working with the property for so long. Cause every time, you know, you hear something go up, you're like, Oh, I don't know if I'm going to write for these characters ever again. And because you never know what will happen. Um, and uh, yeah, it was really emotional. It was cool to hear Tat read it. I, I met her a while ago in Toronto prior to Orphan Black, just through the acting scene and through filmmaking and my friends. And uh, I, it was kind of trippy, actually, to hear her, her read something I had written aloud like that. And you know, I, I've primarily been writing uh, for the screen and for comic books. And I've always wanted to write um, prose. So and I've been writing prose. So it was really cool to have that out there. Uh, super fulfilling, but also a little bit scary. Yeah, I, I can imagine uh, with any creative project like that, it's thrilling and scary at the same time. Yeah. And also like the fandoms is insanely smart. And uh, very, um, uh, they know the show super well. And they we have like, you know, people who have backgrounds in science and genetics who are fans of the show and and uh really intelligent fans so you kind of worry when you put an orphan black story out there uh just because you want to make sure they're you know they enjoy it and then it's hitting all those those things that made the show what it was you know when it first started five years or no oh my gosh like six years ago yeah. And I mean, at least from what I've seen looking around a little bit, the fan response seems to be really positive to the whole Orphan Black, the next chapter. Yeah, it has been so far. And we're it's like a huge sigh of relief, but also kind of a nice celebration, too. Um, I'm really happy that people are getting those old Clone Club vibes and feeling that the show is representative of what they loved about the TV series. 
Yeah, and it's got to be pretty unique for them too because I, I can't really think of a show that ended like this and then gets revived in a different medium uh, other than I know there's tie-in novels or uh, graphic novels uh, or things of that sort, but this is something a little unique. Yeah, I would say it's a little unique. I know Buffy had a life in comics as well when that was on the air, Vampire Slayer. Um, so that was interesting. But in terms of like a, a series of of novels, um, yeah, you don't hear about that very often. So uh, I, I was pretty excited and and honored to be working on this, especially with the the writers I was working with, uh, Madeline Ashby, Malka Older, E.C. Myers, uh, Lindsay Smith, and Michelle Baker. Everybody's super talented. Um, and yeah, it was really exciting to have such a, you know, an, an A-list group of writers working on this together. It was really, really, I learned a lot and uh, I loved working with them all. Uh, I feel pretty privileged to have done that. Yeah, and like you said, that really is an amazing team that Serial Box put together. Uh, it's just really cool. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they did a really good job, I would say, of putting the room together. Um, I think everybody had different strengths and different and different focuses. Um, you know, like Madeline Ashby's uh, a futurist, um, and she's very tuned into that sort of side of things. And Malka has a um, like a doctorate in, in ethics in terms of like science, basic like focused on science. Um, Lindsay's got a background, I think, in in, in software engineering, and um, I think she's like. She she does a lot of different things. I don't know exactly. And then Michelle's uh, uh, into the fantasy world, and she she builds really emotionally deep characters. Um, and uh, and same with Eugene. He's just he's got a really youthful, funny voice as a writer. So I think they put together a really cool group of people that spoke to the show. It was really actually quite smart how they did it. Yeah, and. Uh... So I guess sort of to close things out a little bit, uh, a question I like to ask is, what's something you've been ridiculously excited about lately? It can be a writing project, a film project. It can be something totally unrelated to anything uh, career-oriented. Oh, okay. Um, hmm. I've been doing just so much writing lately. It's probably going to be career-oriented. So I'm sort okay. of kind of like, uh, like a bore, I guess. Um but uh yeah i was working on a uh, a couple things i was working on a video game called watchdogs legion at ubisoft and it's kind of um it's set in a post brexit london and it's uh kind of you can play as anyone you see in the open world and we the writers got to write so many different interesting um british characters i'm really excited to see that come out next year um and then another thing I've been working on personally, I've been working on a, uh, a fantasy novel because I'm a big fantasy nerd. Uh, Me too. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I'm a big like Tolkien dork. Um, uh, I've been working on a kind of a fantasy novel about two um, preteen girls who are who basically end up roped into a debt and learn about credit debt through magic. It's called the penny discount. So that's something that I've been really excited to work on because I haven't really done it. I've done sci-fi mainly, and I haven't written a lot of fantasy in the last few years. So, yeah. Well, ooh, that sounds fascinating. I will definitely uh, keep my... Okay, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. 
Yeah. And uh, I think that's about all I have. Uh, This has been great, Heli. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me on. That wraps up our interview with Heli. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram as at Heli Kennedy. Those social media links are also in the show notes, along with a link to Heli's Amazon page so you can check out her comics. Our next guest is Eugene Myers, 2005 graduate of the Clarion West Writers' Workshop, streamer of video games, and author of six young adult novels under the pen name E.C. Myers. Eugene has worked with Serial Box on several stories over the last few years, with Orphan Black, the next chapter, being his latest project with them. Welcome to the Fantasy Inn, Eugene. It's so great to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, So I guess to start things off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be involved with Orphan Black, the next chapter? Uh, sure. So uh, I publish as under E.C. Myers. Uh, that's what most of my fiction is under. Um, and I've been writing young adult uh, science fiction and fantasy primarily since, well, about 2007. I've been writing it and been publishing since 2012 uh, with my first novel, Fair Coin. And I originally came to uh, Orphan Black through uh, Box. I've been working with Box. I, I worked with them on a, on a a serial called Remade uh, some years back. So that was the, my first exposure to Serial Box. And uh, I started hearing, they, I guess uh, Julian Yap, he's one of the co-founders, um, had known that I was interested in, in, in Orphan Black. And when they were first starting to think about, I guess, pitching for this project, um, they kind of reached out to their authors to find out who would be interested and working on that, or who would have ideas that they that they would be interested in pitching. So I put together a, a proposal for you know what I would do for the the follow up to the series, and uh, they didn't end up going with that that route. They worked with the studio to kind of hone things down to a pitch that worked. That was sort of an amalgamation of a bunch of different ideas. Um, but when they did get the green light to work on the series. Uh, they reached out to me again and said, "Hey, are you interested in in writing for it?" And I said, "Absolutely." So that's that's pretty much how I how I found my way into the project. Okay. And so, how did you initially find your way into working with Serial Box? Did they contact you? Did you hear about them first? They they contacted me. So I, I was friends with Julian through another friend. And we had talked about he had mentioned Serial Box or the idea for Serial Box a couple of years before it actually came to fruition. And he said, you know, he, he, again, was sort of gauging my interest in, in working on it. I think he was talking to a lot of authors, um, seeing if anybody would, you know, what people thought of the idea and whether they'd be interested in, in working on it. And then like two years later, I think, uh, I got a call, you know, out of the blue saying that it was happening and he thought I'd be really great for this, this serial. So remade was the first one that I worked on. And that was a young adult story, uh, kind of a dystopian, uh, future or possibly another world that, you know, we weren't, we weren't clear about what, what the setting was initially, but it was about a bunch of teenagers who all died within, uh, you know, minutes of each other on the same day. And they reawake, they awaken in this other place and they don't know, you know, how they got there or, or why they're there. Um, all they know is that they died in some way and some of them committed suicide and some of them had accidents and some of them, um, you know, just had medical conditions that they didn't know about. 
and they all just ended up in this place. And so it was, you know, heavily inspired by by Lost um, in that sense. But yeah, it was it was a YA science fiction story that that I was very excited to, to work on. I was very pleased that he remembered and uh, and thought to invite me to work on the project. Yeah, and I mean that pitch sounds really interesting to me. Something about Cereal Box, I don't know, all of their story ideas really seem engaging. Maybe they just have fantastic blurbs. Yeah, and the, the really cool thing about Cereal Box is um, there's a story, there's a, a series for everyone. You know, they cover so many different genres. Um, they've got science fiction, they have YA, they have fantasy, they have urban fantasy, um, they have, you know, historical uh, romances and, you know, period pieces and things like that. And they've been, they've been republishing a lot of classic literature as well. They had been working with, I think, uh, Julian Fellows, I think, who did uh, Downton Abbey. You know, so they've, they've, they find cool stories and they go out and they, they repackage them, I guess, for their, for their audiences. They find original stories. They get authors to come in and, and work on long form projects. And there's just like, there's just something for everyone. So chances are, if you sign up, you're going to find something that, that you're interested in. Yeah. And so what about this particular story? Uh, what about Orphan Black interested you? Well, obviously, I, I was a huge fan of this show. Um, it was, it was. There's nothing like it on television at the time, and there's, there still really isn't. Um, and it was such a, um, uh, you know, it has a, its core fan base. It has, you know, the Clone Club dedicated fans. But because it was on BBC America and kind of behind a paywall, like I didn't originally watch the series until I think maybe late in the first season. Um, and I only, only because I happened to have cable at the time, I, I, I haven't had cable. I cut the cord a long time ago, but there was a small window of time where it was cheaper for me to have a cable package in order to get internet than it would have been to get internet alone. One of those weirdnesses of like yeah. having, you know, Comcast or whatever. <laughs> so for a very short period of time, I actually had cable and, uh, it was when the first season of Orphan Black was on the air. And so I started watching it and I was really into it. And then we cut the cord again later on because it was no longer cost effective. And it was one of the few shows that I paid for, um, whenever there was a new season, you know, I, I bought it on Google play and just like watched it as soon as it was, as soon as it was available. Um, because most of the time, if there's a show that I like, I can wait till it's on Netflix or it's on DVD or whatever. I'll just wait. But, but Orphan Black, that was the only way to watch it at the time on BBC America or by downloading it. And it was so good that, uh, you know, I was, I was very committed to it. So when they start talking about bringing it back and having it be an official sequel to the series, uh, first of all, I love, I love Orphan Black, but also I, I recognize that it was a big deal for Cereal Box to have a, a major intellectual property you know, IP that, um, would both raise awareness about zero box, reach to new audiences and things like that. And so I was very, very pleased to be invited to be part of that and, and very eager to, uh, participate in it. Yeah. And so, uh, how exactly did you participate in it? I know, uh, you're credited at least for writing episode three, mm -hmm. uh, which, I believe is bread and pottages. So, uh, how did it feel to have that episode out in the public? Um, well, by the time episode three rolled around the reception, uh, we already knew that the show was, that the series was being well-received. So some of the pressure was off, you know, but of course, whenever one of my episodes goes out there, or anything that I've written goes out there, I, you know, of course I'm concerned with how people are going to receive it. Um, but it felt really good. We we've been working on it for a very long time. Uh, we all put a lot of work into the show wanting to get it right. 
and we're also all fans of it. And we also all recognize the, the dedication of the fan base. And so we wanted, just like the studio does, we wanted to make sure that it was something that they would appreciate that, um, would do, I think, honor to the, to the show and everyone who's involved in creating it. So there's a lot of pressure, um, you know, mostly, and, and just as authors, I think we always have the pressure of, of just, you know, worrying that we're, that we're not good enough. You know, sometimes you have that, that, uh, imposter syndrome and things like that. Um, I mean, this is definitely one of the higher, higher profile things that I've worked on. Um, but it was really great to have it out there and start seeing people's reactions to it. And, and every time a new episode drops, um, just seeing people's excitement, um, about it and to have the extra, um, excitement around the fact that Tatiana Maslany is, is, is narrating, really performing, performing the episodes, um, was both a, a huge, you know, unexpected bonus of being involved in the, in the series, but then also to, you know, just like a nice, it was a nice, uh, uh, validation, I guess, of the project. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been great. I also, I also co-wrote, uh, episode nine, which is the, the penultimate episode of the season, um, and of course I forget the, the episode title, but I, I co-wrote that one with uh, Michelle Baker. Okay. Yeah. I, I figured, I know it's kind of almost like a TV writer's room setup that you guys had going on. Uh, so how much work did you guys all do on the overall story together? How much was limited to your specific episode? Uh, how did you break up the responsibility like that? Yeah, um, it's a really fascinating process, and it is it is very much like a writer's room. So back before I even started writing um, uh, science fiction fantasy, before I started writing short stories, I was really interested in writing for television, and uh, for many reasons that didn't work out. I didn't I, I didn't want to move to LA. Um, it's just that 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 uh, industry is is harder to break into than fiction writing, where you can live anywhere and submit your work to a magazine or a publisher. And if it gets published, it's because it's good. Um, you know, you don't have to be in a specific location and, and, and that sort of a thing. So to get involved with Cereal Box and, um, and especially with, um, with Orphan Black was kind of like a dream come true for me. It was kind of marrying the two things that I was really interested in, like writing for television and film, and then also writing, short stories and, and novels. Um, but yeah, so it, it is set up like a writer's room. We all get together for like three days, uh, when we're launching a project or when we're launching this, the first, uh, we're, we're launching a season of a, of a show, you know, I'm going to use the TV nomenclature for, cause that's what we do. And, um, we're just in a room for, for three days. And these are long days where we're hammering out the plot and the characters and the overall season arc and the overall series arc uh, all the things that you would do if you were starting a TV show from, from the ground up. And it's a really interesting process, especially about, and I've learned a lot about writing from it, especially in terms of how they, how we think about the characters, because, you know, every, every show, every story has a bunch of different characters. And we go through this process of, of thinking about what, are, what does that character want? How do they interact with the other characters? And so we go through it and say, what does this character think of that character? How does this character think of this character? Like, what are those those kind of webs of relationships? And that informs the drama a lot of the time. Uh, with Orphan Black, it was a little bit different because a lot of that's the, those characters were already established. So we didn't have to do a lot of that. But we've done that on, on some other serials that I've worked on. Um, so, so we plan out the series as much as we can. And we plot out the, the season 
and then we kind of break it down to, to episodes, you know, and then we break those episodes down into beats. Um, so every episode has like, these things will happen. This is the character arc. This is like the emotional arc. This is the plot arc, all that stuff. And then we divvy it up. And, uh, each, each author tends to write, um, one or two episodes. I, I initially was supposed to only write one episode and then I, and then I came into co co-write, um, episode nine, but, um, you know, we had five, we had five authors and well, I guess we had, we had six, uh, and one, and Heli was only going to write one episode. And so that kind of left one kind of odd out. Um, and then we go off and we, we outline, we, we write our outlines for our episodes and then we get back together again on, on Skype. Oh, I like Google chat. And we talk about the outlines and we refine them. And then we start writing the episodes and then we share those drafts. And we, again, we get back on the phone and we discuss them and then we go and revise them. And that's a very simplified version of that. We also have a Slack where we're constantly in communication with each other and sharing documents and, and ideas. Sometimes, sometimes, especially on Orphan Black, we had extra phone calls because the plot is very complex and there were a lot of moving pieces and we had a very tight timeline. Um, so we were writing all at the same time, as opposed to, um, on some other projects, we might write them in stages. Like we would write them in three different phases so that way you could write some episodes and then kind of look at those and then write the next batch and then write the next batch. We basically wrote it in, t in two batches, uh, the first half and the second half of the season series. So, um, so yeah, it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of back and forth. Um, it's a lot of revision. You know, if you're writing something and it doesn't quite gel, that's going to affect somebody else's episode or their episode will affect yours. Or you'll realize that this, this plot idea that you had isn't going to work out. And so that requires like rippling changes throughout. And when you're dealing with multiple authors who are all working kind of simultaneously, like it can get, it can get pretty hairy. Yeah. That, that sounds like an intense workflow. And how, how much time did this take place in? Is this like a two week process, a two month process or how long was it? Um, you know, I think it was originally going to be a couple months because, like I said, we had a pretty tight timeline. But we also had um, throwing into the mix, we had something that we didn't have on any other serials that we that we've worked on in the past. Uh, we had the studio, and the studio had was very heavily involved in the process as well. And so they had to approve our outlines, and then we would have to revise for them, and then they would give us more feedback. We were basically getting studio notes on our stories. And then on the drafts themselves, um, because they know the property better than anyone. And they also have the same uh, commitment to protecting the IP and making sure that it's something that the fans will want. So we had we worked very closely with them. And that's not something that I've had to deal with on, on any other serial box projects. I've, I've had that with other uh, work for hire projects that I've done in the past. Um, but so, so the timeline was a bit extended, but it was still a lot of work in a very short period of time. I can't even tell you, I couldn't even tell you how long it would take, how much of my time was spent per episode or anything like that, because there's all those extra hours of uh, reading other people's drafts and coming up with notes and having phone calls and emails and doing multiple revisions. Like some of our stories went through five or six revisions, which is highly unusual, I think, for, for Serial Box. But it was a lot of work, but it was all to the purpose of having it be as good as possible. You know, we had very high standards for ourselves and the studio had high standards and the fans certainly have high standards. So, um, you know, it was, it, so having the episode out, it, going back to your previous question, uh, having the episode out was also, there was an immense sense of relief, I think, 
because we had put so much into into it, you know, you can always there's you you know they always say that uh, you know work is never finished; it's only abandoned. You know, art is only is, is only abandoned, and we could absolutely keep working these things, you know. But at a certain point, you've got to cut off because we've got to publish or we've got to get it to the studio because Tatiana Maslany has to, has to read it, you know, and, and get recorded. So there's, there's deadlines, you know, you can, you can get it as good as you can get it to a certain point and then you have to release it. So, but I, I I've been very, we've all been very happy with, with how it turned out. And it seems that the fans are too. So. Yeah. From what I've been seeing online, uh, the reception has been really positive so far. Um, so what types of themes uh, were you trying to tackle in this story? And I guess maybe it's different between what collectively the writer's room was trying to uh, cover overall and maybe what themes you were trying to individually introduce within your episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's yeah, it's interesting because I think that the, the, the those individual themes that authors have, you know, I think that we just kind of inherently work that into anything that we write. But I think that we all definitely planned out, you know, what we, what we wanted everything to say, um, what we wanted the episodes in the, in the series to say. And, you know, we knew that there were certain things. I think one thing that we were trying to do was make it fe- seem familiar while, without treading the same ground. Um, and also kind of updating it, like trying to, trying to reflect, I think, more of the current society and, and issues and sort of just extrapolating what would what would it be like to be a clone in like today's society and so that's why a lot of the um series i think dwells on um serve the, the the idea of surveillance um the idea of uh, people owning your, your medical information or your, or your gen- genetic information and what they can do with that. Um, government conspiracies, of course, um, an evergreen uh, topic for, you know, dystopian science fiction. Uh, but I mean, we live in a dystopia now. So like, you know, how, how does that affect the characters though? Right. And, and wanting to figure out, you know, where do they go from there? Like the series ended on such a perfect note to continue the show is almost sacrilege. You know, I think that that, that was, that's one of the, the things where the studio had to feel right, that, it, that feel that it, it was the right step to, 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 to make, because how do you follow up that show and that ending? Um, sometimes you see revivals of things and you're like, why, you know, why did it keep going? It should have stopped there. That was the perfect place. But stories continue, you know, even after the happy ending or the not so happy ending, there are still stories to tell. And so we had to think about where things would go from there. Um, and personally, I was really excited by the fact that we were, you know, being a a YA writer, I was excited by the fact that we were dealing with Kira more, um, and Charlotte because these are the younger characters. And so they're young adult age in the, in this, in the series that we're working on now. So Kira's, you know, college age. And I thought that that was where I was going to help make more of a mark because that's primarily what I write. So I was really more excited about dealing with, um, their, their identity issues. They have different, they have different identity issues than, than the, than the clones do. The clones all, they all have identity issues. Like, who am I? Like, how am I different from my sister? Um, you know, we, we look the same, but you know, uh, how, how different are we? And then you've got and then, and then the series are also thinking about, 
where do they fit? Like, why do they exist in the world? Like who, who created them? Um, what is their purpose? Like, what are they supposed to do and how do they build a life for themselves knowing all of this stuff, you know, or having people after them, um, or with the limitations on, on how freely they can move about in the world or what they can reveal. So some of that applies also to the young adult characters. Um, you know, but, but Kira and Charlotte in particular are also dealing with a lot of the same issues that they're, that the older, that the older clones are dealing with. Um, but then they also have their own thing, you know, Kira is a teenager who wants to make her own way in the world, but she's got secrets. And so there's limits on what she can do. She's got an overprotective mother, um, you know, and so she's wrestling a lot with like finding a way to be her own person. And she's also got like this unique genomes and like, what does that mean for her? You know, and Charlotte has, um, she has the same, you know, genetic makeup as the older clones. She doesn't quite look like them because she's younger, but she's also got a pretty messed up childhood, you know, and then mirroring some of that with uh, Vivi, who's the, one of the new clones that we introduce, and she's only just discovering that clones exist, and she is one of them, which brings us back to some of the things that uh, Sarah dealt with in the original series. So there's just, it's so rich, you know, thinking about, you know, how much of, you, of yourself is predetermined and how much control do you have over your own life, especially when all these other people think that they have a say in like what you're allowed to do. Yeah. And I mean, like you were saying before, it sounds like there's a ton of moving plot pieces to the puzzle. There's a ton of moving uh, meta pieces to the puzzle with working with a studio and continuing an existing IP. Uh, So yeah, that's really cool that you guys were able to weave that all together. Yeah. It's one of those things where you look back on it, you know, and you're like, I'm not sure how we did that. You know, I mean, it just, it, it, I think it speaks to the professionalism and and the talents of everyone involved. Um, not just the writers, but, um, the producers like who we work with at Serial Box who had to manage the project. Um, they had to, they were sort of, and they were our go-between with the studio, um, like, you know, managing a bunch of authors and there are, there are disparate schedules and, uh, work styles and things like that. I mean, it's, it's a huge task and, you know, then you see it out there in the world and you're like, we created something bigger than all of us and it seems to be working and it's very, it's very exciting. Yeah. And I, I still just think it's really interesting how, you know, writing in general is somewhat of an individual profession mm-hmm. it seems a lot of the story you have like total control over uh whatever you're writing is your baby uh but this is you know totally different which is awesome yeah you know and that's interesting because uh, you know people tend to think of writing as a, as a solitary profession like you go off and you do it all by yourself and then you know you just create this thing uh serial box is hugely collaborative and the success of any series i think rests on the um the, the particular group that you put together. And I've been very fortunate to work with groups that were all, that they all gelled like really well. Like if you have an ego in the room, um, it makes it very challenging. It would make it very challenging. I think I haven't had to deal with that. Um, but everyone is very committed to the story and making that as good as possible and doing whatever they have to do to, um, to really deliver that. And I always feel like I have to step up my game to keep up with the other authors. And I've learned so much from the process and just seeing how, you know, every author has their own strengths and, uh, you know, just to, 
condense the process of like working out a novel uh, length work into, you know, a couple of months or so. And, you know, it's, it's really, it's just, it's such an interesting process and, and yeah, it's just been, it's just been a pleasure. Yeah. So do you know uh, what the future plans are for Orphan Black, the next chapter? Uh, Is there going to be another season? Is this going to be a one-off thing? Well, I I won't spoil anything, but, you know, we always leave some threads uh, so the story can continue. And I think that we're all hoping that that it will do well enough that we can do more of it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think we hope that there'll be another season. Um, And, you know, we have a much better grasp of the process, so it'll probably it'll probably be even go even more smoothly. But yeah, I mean, we're wrapping up this this first season now. I think we just dropped episode six, so we still have four more to go, and um, and then we'll, we'll I guess we'll see how it goes. I have no idea like when we would get any news on whether we were going to do another one or not. Yeah, well, uh, I'll be looking forward to it if it does happen. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so that wraps up probably most of my questions about Orphan Black. Um, a couple other things I wanted to ask you while we're here. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. So uh, in our interview a couple of days ago, Heli was telling me you're really into retro video games. <laughs> yes. So uh, how'd you get into those and what sorts of games do you like? <laughs> uh, I guess I first got into them by playing them when they were not retro. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the main the main system I have love for is uh, the Nintendo Entertainment System, the NES, which I grew up with. And I just never stopped playing it, really, except when I was in college and didn't have time. Um, but uh, really what happened was um, I just I didn't have time for, for a while to, to play video games. And I would go through this period of like, oh, I'll play games for like a little while and then I'll get involved with, you know, writing. Like once I started writing and trying to, to get published and then actually getting published and kind of being, you know, working professionally as a writer, um, I just didn't have time for games. So I just put them on the back burner. And every now and then I would, I would dabble with some, some new game that was out. And then, uh, really only a, a few years ago, um, I just, I felt like I needed, I was burning out a little bit. I, I was working really hard on, on writing. Um, I had, a my son was, was fairly newly born. So I was spending a lot of time as a, as a parent and I felt, and then, then I still have a day job. And so I felt like I needed like a hobby. I needed something that was just like fun. That was just for me that didn't have any expectations or wasn't meant to get me money or anything like that. And so I kind of went back into those video games that I loved. I had a, a pretty big collection of, uh, of NES games that I've built up over the years. And so I started, I decided to start live streaming those, um, on a weekly basis just to have an excuse to play them, you know, cause I have like 300 and, I think as of now, I have like 360 something cartridges and I hadn't, had not played most of them. You know, I bought them and then just never had time to play them. So I've gotten into the live streaming and that was kind of an, an entry point into other retro gaming stuff. So I've been, uh, just kind of getting involved in, in that community a bit and it's been fun, you know? Yeah. So is that a Twitch that you stream through? I've been doing YouTube. Um, I have okay. a Twitch, I have a Twitch account, but I, I started with YouTube just cause I already had an account and I already was familiar with, with, you know, uploading videos on there. And I also felt like, uh, it was just an easier entry point for people, especially people who don't necessarily watch people playing video games all that often. So if I thought that, if, you know, if readers wanted to see me or interact with me, um, or my friends who aren't, 
gamers or writers wanted to hang out with me while I was playing a game, then, then YouTube was the easiest, easiest route. Um, but yes, I, I, I wrestled often with like, should I switch to Twitch? Like a lot of, some of my friends have, have been switching to Twitch. Um, but, uh, I still, I've been sticking with YouTube. It's just, it's just simpler and, and I think easier access for most people. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so one question I kind of always like to close out with people uh, what's one thing you've been ridiculously excited about lately? So, I mean, it can be work-related, non-work-related. It can be writing or games or really anything. Uh, well, I've been pretty excited about, I don't know if you follow the uh, the Arrowverse, the uh, DC superhero shows like Arrow and The Flash and Supergirl uh, and all that. I used to religiously follow all of them. I know uh, they've got what their Crisis on Infinite Earth. Yeah, so I've been I've been excited about that. I think a lot of geeks are pretty excited about that. I mean, I I also used to follow them religiously. I'm actually behind, like pretty far behind now, like a couple seasons behind. So that's me. Yeah, exactly. And and th- they just introduced too many shows, too many shows, and it, it started becoming like too unwieldy to like follow it. But I'm sort of slowly trying to trying to catch up on it. But I'm really excited about what they're doing because. Like I'm a huge Superman fan, and so the fact that they've been bringing in, they're bringing in, uh, like Tom Welling's coming back for like a little cameo, and they've got uh, Brandon uh, Ruth uh, reprising his role as like the king, as Superman, but as like the Kingdom Comes Superman. Like seeing all these different iterations of a character that that I love um, is really neat. Even if I don't end up watching it like right when it airs, um, but there's been a lot of talk about it in in the media, of course, and so that's been infectious. Like I've been like kind of kind of excited about it too i mean they did they did like infinite uh they did a uh, what was the last one they did i think they did an elseworlds thing like last year or something which i'm also excited about when i whenever i can get back to it uh i'm also just a huge geek like i love multiverse stuff like my first novel deals with uh the multiverse um like i used to like sliders and things like that so anything that really dwells um delves into and again that kind of ties into like i'm really into into uh, those, the questions of identity, you know, you know, parallel selves and, you know, people who seem identical, but they have different backgrounds and things like that, like that all feeds into the, into it. And so I'm like, just excited about, about that. (laughs) Yeah. Look at that. You managed to tie everything back together perfectly. That's just what an author should be able to do. (laughs) You should always look like you've been able, you were planning that the whole time. (laughs) Yep. Stuck the landing. Yeah. Um, all right. And uh, I think that about wraps things up. So thanks for coming on the show, Eugene. This is awesome. a pleasure. Thank you so much. It was, it was a pleasure to talk with you. And that concludes our interview with Eugene. You can find him on Twitter as at EC Myers or on his website at ecmyers.net. Check out the show notes for links to Eugene's books and streaming channel. Now, we have something special for you. Like I mentioned earlier, Serial Box was kind enough to provide a sneak peek of the audio version of Orphan Black, the next chapter, narrated by none other than Tatiana Maslany. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. You're not Kasima Niehaus. You're one of them, aren't you? Oh my god. Oh my god. You have to understand. I didn't know. I didn't realize. He was backing away from her now, trying to get behind the desk. Vivi tried to suck in breath. What was he talking about? One of them. Sturgis babbled on. You really look just like her. I suppose that makes sense. He giggled in a truly terrifying way, and Vivi closed the distance until she was in reach of him. Incredible. Just incredible. Sturgis raised a hand as if to touch her hair, and Vivi kicked him. 
She struck him hard, just above the knee, and he doubled over in pain, which gave her a chance to put him in a submission hold. Whatever was going on here, she had to know. What are you talking about? What makes sense? Who is Niehaus? Thanks again to Helly Kennedy and Eugene Myers for the wonderful interviews, and to Serial Box for letting us share some exciting clips from Orphan Black, the next chapter. This is the perfect time to jump in and try a story from Serial Box. Orphan Black will be releasing the 10th and final episode of the first season later this week, and next week marks the launch of Thor Metal Gods. That's right, there's actually going to be Marvel content coming out from Serial Box. As always, you can find us over at thefantasyn.com or on Twitter and Instagram at thefantasyn. If you enjoyed this interview, feel free to retweet it on Twitter or share it on any other form of social media. We want to keep providing interesting content, and hearing from you is the best way to improve the show. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can catch all of our future episodes. That's all for this week. See you next time.